Tell you what, it's always sweet to be uh, worshiping our dear Savior together with you on a, a Lord's Day. It is really, literally the uh, highlight of my week. Uh, there are a lot of things that can go wonderfully well in a, in a week. I, I confess that I have a lot of grace and bliss that way in my life uh, because I get to be with my wife, my children all week long. Uh, we get to sing songs together. We read the Word together. We read books together. We do a lot of things together, and it is wonderful being with my family. But this is the highlight. It's the highlight. Family's great, but the family of families is the greatest. And this is where we come together and we get to exalt our Lord. This is not a side thing for me. This is not just a, oh yeah, you know, I get to come and it's just another thing that I, ha you know, I should do. I'm a, you know, I'm a good Christian. You just got to go and you got to just show up and be together. This is it. This is the pinnacle. This is the height. This is the top. Top of the mountain. And so it is joy to be here with you. And I trust that you've come here very similarly that way, just really looking to worship Christ with one another, giving yourself to him in the context of other fellow believers in Christ. What a unique experience and a unique time here. And I sure hope you don't uh, kind of look at this uh, uh, tritely uh, as a society thing, trivially. But understand that, look, this is a very much the experience that we will have in heaven as we worship our Lord. And if this right here can't be the thrill of your soul, you need to consider. You need to consider where you're at, where your heart is at, where your life is at, and where it's going. Let's give ourselves to our Lord and His Word. Turn to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to again engage into our study for this morning. Now we're in a very, we're at a very important place in our study. We've been studying this incredible epistle for a while now, and I've learned some incredible doctrine. I mean, we have gone to the depths of understanding things, and we have gone way up to the heights. I mean, when you start talking about theology and doctrine, Romans is loaded. And sometimes you get you don't get those one-cent words, you get those 25-cent words, you know what I mean? They're, they're the out there that you go, whoa, I, I need a little, spend a little more time with this. Help me understand this. Uh, Joel, in fact, reminded me of that as he was reading through Romans 3 this morning. And, you know, you come across a word like propitiation and you go, oh, now what was that word again? I got to remind myself of that. And you realize as I was meditating on that word thinking, wow, that word's got a lot of depth to it. That word actually means a lot. It's huge to our theology. It's huge to our relationship with the Lord. And it's huge in terms of what he has done for us. And these words that we have studied and we've learned are not just out there to be just kind of plaques. To kind of make us look like, you know, we feel a bit more smart. They're there because they have massive practical ramification for your life and mine. So much so that it's not as though Paul wrote two books. You know, one was a doctrine book and one was a practical do, you know, how to do book and they kind of just put them together and they called it Romans. This is all one complete thought from Romans 1 all the way to the end of Romans 16. Now let's turn our attention once more and read it. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 8. 
of Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service, it is serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now to get into this study, I thought I would give you two pictures. I'll explain in a moment the specifics about these. But these two pictures are really two analogies. They describe one of two types of churches that we see today. Common churches. The first, and by the way, see, some churches, sometimes we, 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 we can go back and forth from, from these here. The first is a person who's come to the place where he's convinced, if, convicted if you will. That he needs to go back to school. Imagine this person. He's sitting there and he feels like he's got to go back to school. Here's his calling. Got to go back to school. Okay? He's got a new direction for his life. And that direction is all in the learning. And they realize in order to have some aim in their life, they've got to go and learn some stuff. And get degrees and things like that. And so he takes class after class. And ten years later, you know... He's still taking classes. It's kind of taking a little while. Not the shortcut, but the long haul here. And his response is this. When you talk to him about what it is that he's doing. And he says, well, I'm just not clear or ready for a career yet. And so I, just, I think I'm just going to keep taking classes. Until I get a sense of that. And all the meanwhile, he learns and he learns and he learns and he learns. What's the problem with that? Well, it can't be that he doesn't know enough, right? You got the first person. Here's the second person. He also feels this void in his life. And he feels that he needs to get out and make something of himself. And so he grabs the ads and, and what does he do? He, he finds a job. And he says, look, I've got two able hands and two able legs and I've got a head on my shoulders. I can get out there and do something for myself. Get a little job or something. And so he grabs the... So he, he spends a year there after getting this job, finding this job. But it doesn't work out. So then he gets a second job. And this one lasts six months. And in ten years, he works at 15 jobs. Job after job after job. It just... Because each time, it's just not the niche. It's not the thing. It doesn't fit him. 
And his response to that is this. I'm just not clear on a direction yet. What's the problem? Well, it can't be that he hasn't done enough, right? Or maybe he's thinking he hasn't, obviously, because he needs another job. One more, just one more. See if that's the thing. You see, here you have two pictures, and I believe these two pictures give a, a picture really of the church, and you have people that think that it's all in the learning, and so they're just dump-loading massive amounts of doctrine, reading books like crazy, they're just going for it, and all the meanwhile, they know a lot of stuff, and they're there, but they don't seem to ever do anything with it. You say, practically, what are you doing, though? What are you doing with that? And then the other picture, pictures a guy that is just all about out there getting, being busy, crazily going in directions, left and right, up and down. And when you ask yourself, what are you doing? The response is, I don't know, I just figure you just have to be busy doing stuff. Church is just doing stuff, isn't it? And Paul's response to you and I is, here in Romans 12 is this. No, no, no. You've missed it. If you thought to yourself that it's just about learning, you've missed it. And if you've thought to yourself it's just about getting out there being busy, you've missed that too. And somewhere there's a hybrid of those two things with real meaning. And it's not just this. Learn a little doctrine, be a little busy. It's not that. We need then to understand, well, then what is it? If it's not just, here's my ten books, if I read these ten, I'm going to be spiritual. If it's, and if it's not just, here's a few programs, get involved, and then you'll be spiritual. If it's not those two things, then what is it? What is church? Why come? Why be involved? Why do anything? Really? And so, in other words, one serves the other... And you have to really have both, don't you? Today it seems you have churches that are either doctrine churches or service churches, but the Bible teaches that God's church is both. And really one feeds the other. There's a reason why Paul started with doctrine. One sets up the other. Very, very important. And I will tell you that the person who's made the choice of made the doctrine choice is in a better place than the person who's just going to get out there crazily getting busy. But you can't just stay at that place, can you? And that's where Paul is. It's where he's at right now in his teaching here. Now he's spent 11 chapters all on doctrine. Huge amounts, you know, you remember, of theological thoughts. And now it's time to turn that theology into a transformed life. It's time to turn that, that duty, or excuse me, that doctrine into duty. Okay? Now, you start with all that great stuff on salvation. I mean, that's, that's, he spent loads of time on that. All that salvation, all, all that salvation is, you, you, you work through that. You, you lay it out. You, you dig it deep. You show, and so we've seen all kinds of things. We've seen, uh, uh, we've learned about grace. We've learned about faith. And we've learned uh, tremendous things about our, the security that we have in our salvation. We've learned uh, about the Spirit's role in salvation, haven't we? And all these things, God's faithfulness in that salvation. And Paul calls it the mercies of God. And we've learned about eternal security and stuff like that. 
And all of that is called the mercies of God. There's a kind, kind of life that's normal, a kind of life for the Christian, a life that is to be lived as a result of those mercies. And so you ask yourself, what does a life look like that's consistent with the death of Christ for you in exchange of giving you the righteousness of God? I mean, he died to take your sins, to give you the righteousness of God. So what does a life look like that has the imputed righteousness of Christ? What does that life look like? That's chapter, what chapter 12 is all about. And I have to say, beloved, Paul goes straight from the personal life of verses 1 and 2 to the life connected to the church. Really, it's a fascinating thought when you think about it. Straight from the personal to the life connected to the church. And I got to tell you, there's not a lot of gap between two and three. There's not a month, five months. Give me, give me a year to get my life in order here, and I'll think about what I need to do in the church. There's, not, there's no gap. And then, by the way, that's not random. That's not coincidence that, that verses uh, one and two connect, interlock with verse three. There's no Christianity, beloved, without a connection to the church. And verses 3 through 8 are all church. And verses 1 through 2 is all personal. It's all relationship, personal relationship with Christ. There's a connection. No Christianity without a connection to the church. There's no such thing as a land fish, see. Right? You know what I mean by that? I mean, that thing belongs in the water, right? You see that lying around on the ground? You, you think to yourself, hey, who, how'd this get here, right? This is, doesn't belong here. It's not here. It's going to die, see? Fish belong in water. And so a Christian is in the church and has a place, a function in the church. And that's his whole point. You've got, you've got this believer who's having this relationship with God in verses 1 through 2, and then you, all of a sudden you have this believer that's having a relationship with people called the church in verses 3 through 8. And so verses 3 through 8 then are all about what the church looks like in motion. Once it gets going, like our, like our Lord designed it to go, right? That's verses 3 through 8. And I do believe it's not natural, beloved. I mean, we have to be told these things. You know? I mean, we're, we're all by nature very independent. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that you have a tendency to elevate your ideas pretty high? They're pretty, they're pretty smart. They're pretty good, aren't they? Well, when you're alone, when you're looking in the mirror, you're kind of maybe laying on your bed, you're going, you know, this is a good one. Right? It's all there. I mean, we're all brilliant people, aren't we? I mean, and yet... And so you live, you imagine living, living, following that through, living in that independence. Wouldn't be much of a church, would there? Huh. And so there comes a time when you have to, I believe, by the Spirit's work, because that's not all natural, it's got to be a Spirit's work, in your heart, there comes that time where the, the Spirit works in your heart to realize what this Christian life is really to, to, to look like and what it's to be. I mean, when it comes down to it, beloved, all verses 1 through 8 are doing is this. It's describing this one statement. Listen to this. It's describing this. Die to the self, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. Follow me. That's, that's verses 1 through 8. 
Die to yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Where is Jesus going? Where why he's running away from people, right? No. He's setting up a people that can have fellowship and that can serve one another. See? And he called it the church. Like it or not, we're connected to each other. Don't be surprised when I call you at your house or I drop by or whatever. We're just connect we're connected. In the same way the other way around. I shouldn't be surprised if you come, you know, hello, here I am. Well, what are you doing here? You know, of course, of course, you know. You came here for the fellowship, right? Sure. There's a connection. And we've got to lose this independence of thinking that's in our mind and woven into the fabric of our of, of ourself. And, you know, I mean, when it, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily, that's, that's the idea. In fact, that's really, verses 1 through, 1, through, 1 through 2, that's really what that is. I die daily. That's what he's saying there. Or what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. And really what he means when he says that is, my life is an offering to God. I have put it on an altar. It's there. It's designated for him and his use. Use me however you want, Lord. It's for you, Lord, so that I might be used for you. See. And so that's verses 1 through 2. That's what they were teaching us. And so if we're going to be useful to the Lord, listen, that was the whole point of Israel's existence. You realize that? To be used by God. And that's the whole point of the church. To be used by God. And if that's going to happen, you'll start here in Romans 12. And, and you can say it first starts with the right commitment. I, th I thought there's the other C word, I guess, here. If you want to throw that in there. This is kind of the, the pre-C. Yeah. The right commitment. You have to have the right commitment. Verses 1 through 2. What kind of commitment? Well, you offer your body. Offer yourself. The whole thing, like a sacrifice on an altar. And you say, here it is. Not mine, okay? I mean, you know, you got this person and he's saying to himself, man, they want me to go to this thing and be here and over there. You know what? If you offer yourself as a sacrifice to God, no problem. Whatever. Whatever. It's not, this is not my life anyway. I don't really have an attachment to this here. You know, well, there's me time over here, and uh, there's you over here. Look, I've, I've been offered to the Lord. I don't live for me anymore. Not my body anyway. I mean, I've given it to the Lord, see. And so it's just the, this is the whole idea of what he means. Offer yourself, your body, living sacrifice. Go where the Lord wants you to go. Do whatever the Lord wants you to do. And you offer your whole self, and that includes the mind, and you let your mind get filled up with Scripture, and you filter out the, the world, right? And then you offer your will, and that's the commitment, isn't it? And you've given yourself to the Lord that way. And you say, well, sometimes it feels like a battle. Well, sure. You don't think that your will naturally is the Lord's will, do you? No, it's not that way. I mean, there is a battle. Galatians uh, 5 describes that battle, the, the, the spirit and the flesh warring against one another. It's the battle of the wills. 
and we're little stubborn donkeys, aren't we? You know, we're mules. I mean, we, we dig our heels and I just, I can't. I mean, I'll never forget uh, such a dear brother whom I, <laughs> this cracks me up. I gave, I, I wanted to give a book to, to read and he says to me, well, I don't know if I want to read that. So, well, how come? So, well, I might have to change. <laughs> so, well, yeah, you probably will. I mean, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> but you will. I mean, it, it, but you'll like what you see after you read it, you know, and if you, as you change. All right, well, then the next set of thoughts about our usefulness comes in verses 3 through 8. And Paul's going to get real practical. But, he, but he's got to do it stage by stage, beloved. Step by step with some, with some sense here. See, there's logic here that makes sense. So now here's the thought. You got the offering of the body, right? Now why, why don't we offer ourselves like verses 1 through 2 tell us? Listen. So that we can serve God in the context of his church with his people. And I got to tell you, you're not going to offer yourself to serve in the way verses 3 through 8 say unless you start with verses 1 through 2. This is perfect uh, for, for us diagnosing the problem in the church here, verses 1 through 8. Because sometimes I think we can be prone to do this. Well, so-and-so is not so involved. We've got to get that brother or sister involved in things. Really? Is that really the problem? Have you stopped to ask yourself why that brother or sister is not involved? Go back to verses 1 and 2. That's why. There's your answer. And so it's not that tough when you go to that person who's not that evolved. You say, can I ask you something personal? What is it? Can you describe your time of the Word, your personal prayer life with the Lord to me? And they sit there and they tell you, well, uh, you know, it's not that strong. Not that, it's pretty absent. So, well, yeah, I've noticed that you're not really you haven't given yourself to be used. Could that really maybe be the problem? See? All right. So, we offer ourselves like verses 1 through 2 tell us so that we serve God in the context of a church. Now, that kind of usefulness depends on some things here. What does our usefulness depend on? We've already looked through these here. The first one, the right condition, verse 3. And we present ourselves to God to use our gifts in the church, right? And then what's the first thing we need to look for before serving? Check your condition. Check, check for what? Your attitude. What should your attitude be? Humble. Humble. Humility. Verse 3, look at it. Don't think so high of yourself, he says. And then what does he say? Think soundly about yourself. Now what's that mean? That means, think about yourself the right way. Don't go too high. Don't go too low. Not false humility. It's not this exaggeration. It's right there in the center where you look and you measure yourself the way the Lord has made you. And you understand that. You understand, well, maybe I'm not the preacher guy, but, you know, I'm something else, I know. But, you know, all I am is a guy that likes to help people, you know, serve here. And that's, that can't be anything really big. And yet the Lord is saying, no, it is big. You need to understand who you are and how I've made you. Be humble. Listen, he's telling you this, this isn't about your comfort. See? 
This isn't about you feeling like you have a place or feeling important. It's not like that. You say, well, I, I would serve, but I just don't feel important. I don't feel like anybody's asked me to. See, I don't really see that in here, do you? Serve when, you're, when you've been given permission, right? Does he say that? Not at all. You know what? You, by the end of this year, you're going to realize he wants you to bust down that door. You're not waiting to be knighted. You're not waiting to, for the dove to come down or whatever, or the, you know, the, the rainbow or the, whoo, you know, the rays or whatever. You're not waiting for that. Look, if you're, you got a gift, you get out there and use it, right? That's really what he's saying. And see, you know, if sometimes, I mean, what's the opposite of humility, right? It's pride, isn't it? That is always what keeps us from being used. Always. You, think, you just think too high of yourself. You, you just think, well, if they're not going to roll out the red carpet, why should I even do a service for them? See? Really? Where are the trumpets, right? I mean, it, something. Well, what about the Lord, right? The joy of, of, of Him and heaven. You know, it's about being like Isaiah. Here, I, here my Lord send me, use me. It's about saying I don't have to have control of my life. Take it, Lord, use me, let them have me. Here I am, let them have me. I know, it goes against the grain of all that we are. But not the new creation. That new creation knows it's at home that way. You know, beloved, God calls us to any kind of service this way. Any kind of service. Let me give you an example. You know, marriage is a service. Okay? It really is. You get married, that is a service. And some of you have been married for a long time. You perfectly understand that. And it's, I, I have to say, I think when I first got married, that was probably a shock of my life. You know, because I, I, deep down inside, I, I, you know, when I got stark real, I, I, boy, I was looking forward to being served, Right? But that's going to be great to be served and all that stuff. And that just didn't work out too well, you know, when I had that kind of attitude. You know how that is. I mean, so if you're married, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're called this way. I mean, you know, I thought, you know, I thought this was just going to be like the movies or whatever. I mean, I didn't, you know, I don't know, clothes, dishes, all that kind of stuff. 1 Corinthians 7 is real fascinating. God says you don't have any control of your body. It's, it's your spouse's. And so you come in with a thought that marriage has absolutely nothing to do with you and your desires and your dreams. It's all about service. And so you serve her and you serve him. You take that same concept now into the body of Christ. And that's the, that's the idea. That's the way it is in the church. Now watch this next thing. Okay, so that's the first one. So you got to start, you got to get that right condition. You're going to be used, but you got to do it that way, okay? You got to have that right, that right attitude. Otherwise, you know what you're going to seep out is just pride, okay? So then you have the second one. Then you move to the second thing, the right chemistry. Now God, uh, this is verses 4 through 6. And God gives you a reason for having humility. And this is verses 4 through 6. You know, you know why you have to have humility? Because he puts you together with other people. See? He puts you together with other people. And that's called the church. And you remember we made the point that when he did that, that he, he did it 
organically more than organizationally. Okay? Let me tell you the reason why I, that's such a very, very important point. Because if you think of the church more organizationally, and you who have administrative gifts, you do. If you think of the church more organizationally than you do organically, then here's what you're going to do. You know what? We've got three people here with a teaching gift, and we don't really have an evangelist type guy. We got to go out and get an evangelist. See? Oh, man, you know what? We don't have uh, really a lot of mercy people, so we should, let's go out and get those types, you know? Because we got to have this balance with our church so that it kind of has gifts that do this and that and the other thing. Really? That sounds like that might have some organiza organizational symmetry, if you will. Well, that sounds like that's going to really flow out nicely. But here's the problem. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. So it's got life of its own, and it looks the way it looks. And God's the one that's placed it together. First Corinthians 12 tells us, just as he desired. So verse 4, look at Romans 12, 4. Just as we have many members in one body. Now that's an analogy from the human body, isn't it? And it's all one with many parts. And listen, here's the point. And those parts are vitally connected, right? Vitally connected. And I made, you know, we've talked about this point here. You know, um, I, I can remember uh, when I was a kid, and, I, and I'm sure I deserve this here, but when my parents really wanted to get my attention, they would just grab the little corner of my earlobe, right? And just kind of drag me along here. And say, ah, you know, but the whole body went, see? Just a little earlobe, but that whole body was going over there, right? So that you kind of felt it starting to separate from your, you know, you figured you got to follow through there, see? There's a vital connection with that earlobe. And all the little parts make, they make connection, and they really, they're really important. There's no unimportant part in the body. Now watch what the Lord does. We're connected, but notice not the same. Verse 4. And all the members do not have the same function. <laughs> we're all different. How is it that we're all different? Different spiritual gifts. How do we get that, how, how we get that gift? Verse 6. Since we have gifts, see that's the difference he's talking about, huh? That differ, watch this, according to the grace given to us. You can stop there and think about that. Can you see that this is God's work, beloved? This is God's work. We have gifts. We're together. We're all one. One body here. To do a work. To do a function. And the Lord has done this. He gives those, those gifts. Can you see that he put you in this church to use that gift? Can you see that it's all his grace? And it says here in verses 3 and verse 6 that he measured it all and it has a proportion and it has an allotment and it has, it's like it's measured out just like you're baking a cake and you have to have the exact measurement of the thing that you're doing. That's the way the Lord did with you when he gave you your gift and it's right there in you and it's exactly what it needs to be, see. I mean, you, you have a job to do, and he's empowered you by the Holy Spirit to do it, see. You have that giftedness with, all, with you at all times. And so there's the next thing. And finally we come to the call to action. And that's verses 6 through 8. Thirdly, the right contribution. The right contribution. This is the service. This is the contribution. What contribution do you have to the church body. We're not talking about talents here. 
We're not talking about, you know, well, I've got a lot of uh, experience doing this. Might not be that helpful if it's not going to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So we're talking about a work that can only be done by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now look at it there in verses 6 through 8. You got prophecy. You got service. You've got teaches, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And it's really fascinating the way he lays out these, this list of gifts here. And by the way, these are, these are not all the gifts. In fact, I was reading Robert uh, Thomas' book called Understanding Spiritual Gifts. And he lists 18 spiritual gifts. Kind of categories, if you will. Areas of spiritual gifts. And some of them are the sign gifts. And we've already talked about that. And those are not for today. Real interesting way that Paul puts it here. And like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it's, it's like staccato music. You know what a staccato is in music? Kind of like machine gun fired out. Boom, 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 boom. That's staccato. And that's a, in a very musical way, he's kind of telling us this in a staccato fashion. In fact, if you look at the Greek, it's very clear because it's like, if you got this, then this. If you have this, then this. If you have this, then this. That's the flow of how this text reads. And I love it because Paul, like, a, like what I would picture a, a good shepherd to be in the church, he just doesn't ramble and spend a lot of time. You know, all right, we've we got to get going, all right? You, you have that gift? Great, you do it. You've got that gift? Sweet, use it, go, right? Get going on it, right on. Well, I'm not sure about it. Don't worry about it. Get going using it. Come back and we'll talk about it. And we'll just uh, be used by the Lord, see? That's the flow of it. That's the sense you have here. And Paul's point is clear. If you have the gift, do it, get on with it, go. This is a call for every Christian, beloved, to have a ministry, to minister, to serve. And God has made sure that we have something to serve with, that we have a fit. And listen, not because there are jobs to do in the church. Very important. Do you know why we have a ministry here? Why you do? Because of who you are. You know, you don't sit there and go, well, what are the needs of the church? And then we'll see if we can go recruit and find some people that can fit those needs. That's not how you go about doing it. You have needs. You got people. But God's given gifts. And so irregardless of whether you think there's a need or not, by nature of the fact that you have the gift, there's the need. See? Use it. Use it. You're gifted if you're a Christian. In fact, let me say it this way. To not serve with that gift is a sin. Okay? Clear? Now just a quick trip down memory lane, not yours. The church's memory. The memory of the church's uh, beginning here. Acts chapter 2. Remember the first church? God saved many and it says immediately they devoted themselves to one another. Why? End of verse 45. As anyone might have need. You say, wait a minute, you said not needs. No, here's the point. The point is, is that you're gifted, you serve, and while you're serving, you're looking for what? The need. And then that's where you go, right? 
and you just keep serving. And once you see a need, then you know it's time to move over here, and, it, and then it's time to move over here. But you're always out there serving, see? Always. They did it to meet one another's needs, and they kept doing it. In Acts 4 until verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. And then what do they do? Church is all done. They just kept coming and looking for that. And as the Lord would show them, they would give themselves to caring for one another. But, they, but you have to offer yourself first, right? You've got to be there. In other words, the first church, they did, they, they got busy, but they didn't just get busy using, with, you know, with anything, but they got busy using their gifts for the glory of God. And so this is the reason why earlier when we said it's not just a busy church, but it's a busy church that is busy using the gifts that God has given them and doing it, verses 1 and 2, in a holy way. Now Paul gives seven categories of gifts here. Not all the gifts, but as you're going to see strategically, these gifts cover most of the bases. Really fascinating this way. We said last time that there are three groupings of gifts. There are sign gifts. Typically, I mean, when I, when I say three groupings, not here in Romans 12, but when you look at all the spiritual gifts, there are three groupings. There are sign gifts, there are speaking gifts, and there are serving gifts. The sign gifts, as we noted, and as we showed you from Scripture, those are gifts that <coughs> have ceased. In fact, if you look at the, uh, the epistles that are after Corinthians, and Corinthians was one of the early epistles, what you see is that whenever the authors uh, talked about gifts, they never mentioned the sign gifts anymore. Why? Because they weren't being used anymore in the context of the church because the apostles had laid that foundation already. They built the foundation for the church. Now what do you do, by the way, when the foundation is done? You start building the building, don't you? You don't need it anymore. In other words... By very nature, the, the, the concept of foundation tells you that it has an end in sight, right? Because you're going to build stuff on it. You don't want a foundation that's about 12 feet high, right? Well, I suppose unless you're building an 80-foot building. But you know what I'm saying? You're building a little house here. You, you want to just get that foundation done, and then boom, you're up with the house. And you know the beauty of it is? The apostles did the foundation for us. Ephesians 2.20, having been built upon the prophets, the apostles and prophets, the foundation of the church, it says there. See. So, we have that. And so the sign gifts are, those, those gifts are, are not for today. And so now you're starting to build that house. And you're starting to build on that house with the speaking and the serving gifts. And all those gifts in Romans 12 are from those two areas. And by the way, if you go to 1 Peter 4, I believe it's verse 11. There in your notes, I think it's there, actually the front of your bulletin, it speaks of two kinds of gifts. Notice no sign gifts there, but there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And that's all there is now. So which one are you? Well, you remember, it might not be one, but it might be a combination of two or three or whatever. But these are just general categories of gifts. So let's look at these. First of all, let's look at prophecy. And we started last week. And this verse is the gift of prophecy. Now, by the way, he does this on purpose. There's nothing random about this. It's, it's, uh, 
It sort of is the one gift that all the rest support. Like in Acts 6, right? Lots of ways you could look at it. One way is that you can look at the gift of prophecy as predicting the future. The second way is, uh, is uh, immediate revelation. So one way of looking at prophecy is foretelling the future. So is there in the future, like Agabus in, uh, in Acts, it says, all right, there's going to come, this is going to happen in the future, and on and so forth. And you'll see a lot of that in the Old Testament, predicting of the future. And then there's others that, you know, like uh, 1 Corinthians 14 speaks uh, 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 some of this, some to this, where they're getting immediate revelation and they're spitting it out. And you remember back then you didn't have a Bible like we have that has an Old and New Testament. And so you needed people to do that. But once that revelation was finally given, you didn't have a need for those two parts. Romans 12 is, isn't the, the sign gifts, not the, not the miraculous kind. You say, well, it's, if it's not those two, then what is it? What's it mean? 1 Corinthians 14, 3 defines it. It says, one who prophesies speaks to men. And so the idea then is publicly speaking before men. If you will, it, it's the spiritual gift of public speaking. It's the spiritual gift of public speaking. And that's how come the other two, foretelling and immediate revelation, can belong to this one word, right? Because if you were foretelling the future, or if you were getting immediate revelation, you were to then give it publicly. You weren't to hold on to it. You were to give it away publicly. And you remember there in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about there being you know, those that interpret, those that kind of give the meaning and explain and that kind of stuff. When the new revelation wasn't needed, beloved, all that's left is the public speaking of the revelation already revealed, and that's what we're talking about here. So you have this revelation. It's already revealed. It's called the Word of God, and so the gift of prophecy really is, you could call it this, it's the gift of preaching. It's the gift of somebody who is a public preacher. Now how are you supposed to preach? What's it say? Verse 6. According to the, what? Proportion of his faith. Now that's how you're supposed to preach. And you know what it looks like, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 14, 3. We mentioned this last time. There are three things that, that tell you about what, 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 you're, what you're preaching for. It says for edification, and exhortation, and consolation or comfort, or you could even say encouragement. And so you do those three things when you preach. And that is what the preacher is aiming for when he gets up and he preaches publicly. He wants to edify. He wants to build up. He wants to exhort. That is, he wants to move you to some action. And he wants you to be comforted. There in 1 Corinthians 14.3. And so the, the preacher, the, the person who has this gift is... Verse 6, to use that gift according to the proportion of his faith. And you remember that that means two things that we talked about. First, objectively, according to the measure of the faith. The entire doctrine, the entire revelation. Jude 3, remember that? 
the once for all delivered to the saints faith and so in other words he says if you have got this gift make sure it's biblical make sure it's according to the scriptures always measure it always look at so see this here's what the bible says does it jive with what the bible says see And so, in other words, you preach the word, you don't preach stories or opinions, that's not authoritative. It's not going to do you any good for me to get up here and let you know about Ann Landers, right? Or tell you about Reader's Digest or whatever. That's not going to be powerful. It's, oh, that story really grips me. Well, that's nice. Make a novel, you know? But that's not authority. That's not the authoritative word of God, right? Then second, you can see it this way, the proportion of his personal faith. So it's not just the faith, but you can also see it as he, you need to preach according to the personal faith that you have. In other words, verses 3 and 6, he measured it out, the Lord measured it out, and he said, look, you need to be who you are. Preach, and you need to do it in such a way that you uh, are faithful to your calling to preach. See? And how the Lord has made you, the kind of preacher that the Lord has made you. And as I mentioned to you last week, look, you know, I don't aim to be the preacher that this guy over here is. Or the preacher that that guy over there is. Bless the Lord that he preaches that way and that's a wonderful gift. Great. May the Lord use him that way. And you know, I, I mean, that can be intimidating, I think, for, for, for guys that and have that gift, and they're early on in their preaching, and sometimes they kind of, I think we get, a, preachers get a little bit off on this. You know, they, and they might hear somebody and think, wow, they're, they're so humorous, you know. I ought to throw a little, a few little jokes or whatever, or a little something into my preaching to get some spice like that guy's. You know, uh, I remember this one preacher who, who was, uh, I think uh, it was, he was called this, but not no, no ill intent at all, but he was often called the master of the morning chuckle. I remember that. And, you know, and it was just because he was a warm guy. And he had such a way of telling stories that, that were very, you know, this is great, you know. That's fine. He also had some biblical content. So that's just the way the Lord has made the man. But there shouldn't be any pressure to feel like you've got to go preaching like the guy. I've got to be like that guy. And so he's really saying, look, the Lord's made you a certain way. Preach how you are, okay? How he's made you, according to how he's made you. Now, obviously, if a person in the church has this gift, he has to use it. And you know, beloved, the church, is, the church in the early, early going really was centered on this ministry, by the way, of prophecy. I mean, they believed it was the central service in the church. And in fact... All the others, I'm going to get to here in a moment, all the others sort of supported this one. And if you have the gift, uh, they demanded that you unleash it for God's glory. That's kind of the way they did it in the early church. One guy that, that believed it was named John Chrysostom. And he lived right around the late, uh, late 300s. And John Stott in his book, Between Two Worlds, says this about a sermon that Chrysostom preached on Ephesians 6.13. He says this, Like the human body... Chrysostom said, the body of Christ is subject to many diseases. Medicines, correct diet, suitable climate, adequate sleep, all help to restore our physical health. But how shall Christ's body be healed? Watch this. Here's Chrysostom's answer. 
one only means and one way of cure has been given us and that is the teaching of the word this is the best instrument this is the best diet and climate this serves instead of medicine this serves instead of cautery that's the cutting away whether it be needful to burn or to amputate this one method must be used and without it nothing else will avail end quote in other words he says you want to be useful you've got issues you got problems in the church bring the word and let the word do its work Here's uh, Mr. Bainton, this guy who's a, a writer, wrote about Martin Luther, and he said this, quote, The Reformation gave centrality to the sermon. The pulpit was higher than the altar. For Luther held that salvation is through the word, but the word is sterile unless it is spoken. End quote. That's a great line there. The word is sterile unless it is spoken. Do you know what that means? That means... You don't just go like this. Look, you want to become a Christian? Here, read it. It doesn't work that way. You, you want to grow? You know, it doesn't work that way. This thing needs to be explained. This thing needs to be spoken. This thing needs to be talked about. See? And just so we understand that Luther realized that he was gifted to preach but he believed he himself was nothing, that it, that it was his gift that mattered. Listen to Martin Luther himself. He says, quote, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. And by that he meant translation. Otherwise I did nothing. And when, while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip and my Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the, pa uh, the papacy, Catholic Church, that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. End quote. I love that. I did nothing. All I did was what I was called to do. Look, I just opened it, I spoke it, and I began to explain it, and that's all I did. I'm nothing. The word is everything. That's the way the preacher feels, and the way he is regarding that gift. And so what he meant is that he was the resonating sound of preaching by the Spirit's power when he closed that book. So there's the first gift. Let's look at the second gift here. Service. Service. So it goes on to say this in verse 7. It's the word diakonia. And diakonia is a fascinating word. It means ministry. It's a basic word. It's where we got our, get our English word deacon from. And the idea behind it is practical service. Well, the word literally meant uh, to wait on a table, kind of like a, uh, a waiter, you know, a waitress. That's the idea. They were a diakonia. They were a deacon. They, they served that way. And this is a support gift. And so he says in verse 7, real simple, if service in his serving, if you have the service gift, get on with serving. Do it, he says. And this gift is, uh, by the way, the same as 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It, 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 it calls it the, the gift of helps. Help. Help others. And I like that, that uh, picture of to wait on a table. You get the picture of somebody that is always coming alongside. Here, let me take that for you. Here, here, have this. Here, kind of, oh, let me do that for you. See? And this person is all about being that way. 
And I, and I want you to really consider this. Don't forget, this is a grace-given gift. It's a supernatural gift. So we're not just talking about, again, we need 12 volunteers, right? You can get just about anybody to do work like that. And by the way, we should never have the attitude that, you know, well, I'm, I've got the gift of preaching, so I, you, that's out of my element there, you know. Wish I could help you out there, bud. You know, try that guy, you know. I mean, Everybody should serve. Everybody should help. But there are some that when they do it, you're saying to yourself, that's the Lord Jesus right there. He serves in a kind of heartfelt way that is clearly spirit-empowered. Clearly. Really, really important gift. And this is the, the basic generic kind of serving the body, fixing things, taking meals to those in need, babysitting, nursery work, setting up the building for church, chairs, mopping, putting the classes together, running the sound and so forth, being secretary and helping that way. This is what, this is all, I mean, you find your expression that way and there's joy and there's love in the doing it. See? You remember Acts 6 when the apostles wanted to devote themselves to preaching and teaching? Or preaching and praying? What do they do? Well, they sought some godly men to serve the body, to free them up. And that's the idea of the serving gifts. Is they free up those that have the gift of prophecy to be able to do that. See? It's the ministry of freeing up the elders, and that's the idea behind the deacons too. So there it is, service. Let's look at the third one here. Teaching. This next gift. Verse 7, he who teaches in his teaching. Again, a very basic word. You say, well, what's the difference between preaching and teaching, right? You ever wondered that? It's a good question. Well, let me see if I can bring some help and insight into this. Where preaching is public and has lots of different reaching elements, teaching can be public, but listen, but it's really more focused on systematic structure. Systematic structure. Now, again, I know we're trying to make a distinction. A lot of preaching has teaching in it. But teaching itself is more focused on the systematic side to it. It's training. It's point-by-point -point explanation. It's preaching is proclamation. It's announcing. It's uh, announcing a biblical truth. It has skill to it that way. And teaching, though it has skill, it's a different type of skill. It's a skill that is more maybe a, of an alignment. It's more linear, if you will, see. Teaching is getting people to connect A to B. And so they're trying to, there's a lot of rationalization. There's a lot of logic. There's a lot of here and here. Let me see if I can show you this. It's expounding. It's explaining, right, that way. It's instruction. It's analysis. It focuses on interpretation. It's helping another person understand that truth. And so they might say, all right, I've showed you one thing. Let me give you a second deal here so I can give you more insight. And you're drawing out all kinds of stuff and unearthing stuff to help you understand. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things that you have heard from me, teach others who will be able to teach others as well, right? Now that's the idea here. It's a training. It's a helping a person get to that place, see. So many different, um, as I was thinking about this, so many different pictures of what teaching 
this teaching gift really looks like when it's in uh, action. I think of uh, 2 Timothy 3, where he says to, to, to Timothy, continue with the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching. See, for teaching. That teacher, that man of God is equipping others, is teaching them, it says here. And it's lay, he's laying it out so the people will just get the word. And again, it doesn't have to be a public forum. It can be one-on-one. -on -one. It can be a discipleship type of deal. It will be leading a flock. And I'm thankful here we have, we have various avenues. And, and you know, we, we try not to force things. I mean, I know I'm with you here. I mean, so, so many of you have desired a, a Sunday morning uh, adult, uh, a class for adults. And I think that would be wonderful. And maybe someday it'll happen. But again, if we're a program church, you know what we do? Get, we got to get that class going. But if we're a church that says, let's let the gifted guy rise to the, to the surface and let's let him teach. And by the way, if you find one of those, you got to call them to obedience, right? Here's your desk over here, your little table. All right, here's your time. Come next week, and we need you to teach us. See? Right? Why? Because it's clear you've got the gift of teaching. Now let's get on with it, brother. See? Tell you what, I mean, we all, you can do that, you know. We all can do that with one another, helping each other out. All right. So it's this teaching gift. And you see Apollos. I mean, remember Apollos was there in Acts 18 and he was kind of fervent and he was a preacher, by the way. Ooh, he was out there and he was, he was preaching away. And you remember the two, uh, Priscilla and Aquila said, time out. Apollos, we like your love. We like your zeal. But you're missing some things over here. Now come on over here and let's teach you what's, we've got to show you some things. And you know what was neat? Boy, I tell you what. Not only did he learn, but then he turned around and began to teach as well, didn't he? That was good. That's a great picture of how that all works. And I tell you, lots of pictures of this. I mean, most elders have this gift of teaching. And by the way, there's a difference between the gift of teaching in 1 Timothy 3 and ability to teach. It's what Jesus did in Luke 24 when he opened the scriptures and he explained it. It's what Paul did in 2 Timothy 1.11. Remember when Paul says, I am a preacher and a teacher and an apostle. Notice how he made a distinction between being a preacher and a teacher. See, One is, again, public proclamation, and the other is taking you line by line, item by item, and helping you understand. Now let me set up the next gift by saying this. Teaching really focuses on the mind. It's trying to convince the mind of a truth, of a doctrine, and so it can have passion to it, but it's really linear and expounding and logical and explaining and digging out and all that stuff. But I have to tell you, beloved, it's a, it, it, it's a huge gift. I mean, just read the Gospel of Mark and you'll see it, it, it shows Jesus as a teacher. He went teaching, 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 teaching. And by the way, did you know that the Gospels never called Jesus a preacher? Call him a teacher. It's fascinating to me. But it focuses on the mind. Now let's look at this next one. Number four, exhortation. Now watch this. This is a speaking gift too. But where teaching focuses on the mind, exhortation focuses on the will. 
And this is a gift where it wants to move the will to, to truth. It wants action. It calls for change. It calls for application. Great word. Look at verse 8. He who exhorts in his exhortation. It means to comfort. It means to call alongside of you. It, it can also mean to encourage. And so you're, you're passionate about things. You're, you want to see change, right? The focus of this gift is to get, is to get someone to make a change. And so it's a call for that application, but without the sting. It's, it's without the brashness. It's, it's like admonishing and warning, but it's not, the idea is not, you know, you know, sometimes, it, and, I, and I've been, I have uh, been in danger of doing this. Wow, that person just has the gift of exhortation. I mean, that's the reason why they come on so strong and hard, but, but you've got to take them well. Look, you're calling for a change, but you're not doing it in a way that is without love and kindness and mercy. So that's this idea, the idea of exhortation. See, what's the difference between preaching and teaching and exhortation? Well, this one has a lot of uh, focus on, on, on life activity. Exhortation does. And so the prophetic gift just gets that truth out there. The teaching gift assembles it and details it and takes you deeper. But watch this. The exhortation gift calls for a response to that truth. And it's kind of that bony finger in the face, right? What are you going to do, right? That's exhortation. As one person put it, it's the ministry of challenging God's people to act consistent with God's will. And people who have to get their exhortation can sometimes feel like, oh, well, I don't want to stir the pot. Stir it up. You need to do it. You got to do it. Because if you have that gift, nobody, it might be that nobody else will. Use it. Then this next one, the fifth one, giving. Look at verse 8. He who gives with liberality. Now this is a gift of giving here. And this really has to do with using your resources to help another person. In fact, it's real fascinating. The word give here, giving here, it's the regular word for give plus a prefix, a prepositional prefix, which to you and me means this, super giving. See? So you got people that just give, and then you have the super givers. Who's that? Well, it's a person that's, uh, that's passionate about it, that's consumed with it, and they're giving like Christ, right? I mean, they just, man, here, have this. Oh, I can't take that. Oh, I want you to have this. And you know, you get the sense that, I think I need to take this. Because they're giving to it to me as the Lord would give it to me. Whew. And they're always thinking that way. And the word liberality, by the way, there means simplicity or singular mind. In fact, the idea is without a double motive. In other words, giving without divided motives. Giving with a singular motive. It's the idea of a, it's a giving without any thought of what others are thinking or anything returned. And it's just flat out, just giving. Give, give, give. It's giving with your right hand while your left doesn't what? No, right? It's the kind of giving in Acts 20.35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so you're just always doing that. Or it's the kind of giving in the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where it says that they just gave of themselves and they didn't even give any thought to any kind of return. And in fact, Paul scratched, left scratching his head going, 
seemed like you people were relatively poor, and yet you found a way to give, give, give. Whoa! They must have had a lot of people with this spiritual gift, didn't they? That's kind of neat. It's the kind of giving the first church practice in Acts, Acts 2 and 4. And the idea about this gift is, is just seeing needs and using your resources to take care of it. I mean, and you, can't, you can't help it. It's a supernatural gift that way. and you, you give because of the joy of meeting a need with your resources that God has blessed with you. You're like Barnabas in Acts 4. And I've got to tell you, beloved, I believe, I believe, I don't know to what degree or whatever, that our, our church is filled with people like that. I've seen it. In fact, all these gifts that I, that I mentioned, I can see various people, uh, photos in my mind have kind of come out as I was thinking you know, about this. Oh, yeah, that's, that's like that guy or that, like that gal you know, in, the, in the church body. Let me give you the last two here as we, uh, as we bring this to a close. Number six, leadership. Leading. The gift of leading. Very interesting word here. Verse 8, he who leads with diligence. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it's the gift of government. And the idea is ruling or leading or managing. It's the ability to organize. And so you have these, some people that have this ability to put things together. And they have, and they can see direction that, that's needed. And you know how it is. You are so painstakingly bothered when you're in a room full of chaos and you'd like to see some organization, see. You'd like to see, you know, you got people that, that seems like we're just not going anywhere here. Here, 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 here. Here's a plan. Here, look, look at this here. That's leadership. That's that gift. Where that person just, they're going, right? And you just know it. And this is a person who mobilizes people and can get people going in the right direction. These are people who have been blessed with wisdom abilities to be able to see things down the road and they can see obstacles and ways to get where we need to get to. And they move in efficient ways and they're constantly thinking about how to be effective. Paul calls these gifted people to use their gift with diligence. And the idea there is he says, look, if you've got that gift, don't be lazy with it. Use it. Get going. This is a gift that the elders have, and you could read First Timothy five seventeen speaks of this very word here, and Hebrews thirteen seven and seventeen and so forth. All right, let me give you the last one here, number seven, showing mercy. End of verse eight. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The idea here with this gift is a spirit-empowered ability to have pity on another. It's, it's, like a, it's like the gift of empathy. You feel what they feel. You want to take on their sufferings. And you see a person suffering and you just want to meet it. Right? I mean, you know, I suppose, you know, you want to see how deep this gift goes with a person. And, you know, we all, we all, you know, you drive by Sometimes, this is so hard. I remember when I lived in a bigger city, we would drive by and see people holding signs on the corner of, of, of you know, places all the time. Now, there's a little test of, of kind of where your gift is at. You see a guy like that, what do you do? Well, a leadership guy goes, huh, I think they could probably get a job. Yeah, so maybe I can help them get it, you know, think about how we can help them get a job. Now, that's showing mercy one. Oh, no. Instantly, they're reaching for their pocket or going, wow, we got to, 
Maybe we go. Maybe we take them out to, to, to go eat somewhere or do something. We've got to help this person, right? And you look at people in the church and you're thinking that way. You're instantly moved that direction where you just, ooh, I just, can we just show, can we relieve their suffering in some way? That's the idea of mercy. It's a relief of whatever it is that they're being distressed by. And you, so you minister to people in pain and you feel for them. And you know, beloved, we need people like that, don't we? They have such a love for those in hospitals, for those in prisons, for those who are hurting. In Proverbs 14, 21, Happy is he who is gracious to the poor. And there's such joy in the doing of that. Proverbs 14, 31, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him, honors the Lord. See? Fascinating way there to use their gift that says with cheerfulness, and it is the word hilarion, where we get our English word hilarious. And I've read commentators, I tell you, it would be so strange here. Here to give, show mercy hilariously. And I think, that makes no sense at all. What are you talking about? You know, laughing? You know what I mean? It just makes no sense to me. But I, I believe the idea is, is more this. Look, do it with joy. I mean, imagine a grouch coming to visit you at the hospital, right? Well, this is not really helping here. Can I help you? You know what I mean? It just is, uh, doesn't make any sense. All right, so here you got this general list. You got this list of seven things here. And they really cover uh, a, a lot of ground here. But you ask, and you might be asking yourself, well, what does this look like altogether? And I love, uh, John MacArthur put it this way, and I'm, I'm going to put it a different way. But he says this, prophecy, that's proclamation. Ministry, that's operation. Teaching, that's system, systemization. Exhortation, that's motivation. Giving, that's implementation. Ruling, that's mobilization. And showing mercy, that's commiseration. You know, you're commiserate with a person. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's a beautiful way of looking at it. That's the church in motion. That's what it looks like when it's going, when it's in motion. Say it another way, focusing on the truth, it's, it's this. Prophecy, it's where we as a church are committed to proclaiming the truth. Ministry, it's where we are supporting the truth and we do it by relieving, right? We're relieving through our service. Teaching is explaining the truth. Exhortation, it's pleading one another towards the truth. Giving, removing uh, physical obstacles for the truth and so you see this person who has a need and you meet that need and it's not just left there you're doing it so that you can bring them back to the truth help them to see the truth help them to enjoy who the Lord is ruling is moving people to be consistent with the truth showing mercy is feeling for those who need the truth you feel for them and you put all this together and you see how the Lord uses all of that to help the church to be healthy and to grow and to move in the direction the Lord wants it to move. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul told Timothy, Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Stir it up, kick up the members, get it going. And if you were not on fire, he says, then you need to get on fire. 
You need to get going with it. Well, as we conclude here and we sum all this up, you have a gift. If you're a believer, you have, you have a gift. A giftedness. And we've learned already that it's not for you. And we've learned also that it's possible that you might not know exactly what that gift is. That's okay. Don't be paralyzed. Live out verses 1 and 2. Be humble. And then get on with it for God's glory. You do that. And this church right here is going to be set afire and ablaze doing what the Lord wants us to do. And we will bring him glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are good and faithful, Lord. And, and we even see here, Lord, a lot of markings that this is your church. And we do pray, Father, these gifts being of your work. Lord, we know you've given to, to, uh, to make this church move the way you want it to move. And so we pray, Lord, it will only happen if you would bless it, if you would bring your power through the Spirit to cause us to move this way. Help us to know where it is that we're gifted, Lord, and to be available and to give ourselves, Lord, to serving you this way. We love you, we praise you, and ask you to honor yourself this way for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.